Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Pastor Greg Laurie. Pastor Greg, how are you? Isaiah, I'm great. Thank you for that very nice introduction. It's true I've written 70 books. I don't know if anyone's read any of them, but I keep (laughs) writing them down. That's absolutely incredible. You know, I was doing a lot of research today and looking up a bunch of your stuff, and it was just on and on what God has done. You've had such an impact on the kingdom of God, such a legacy that you've had and that you're leaving. And I'm so honored that you'd be on this podcast tonight. I'm so honored that you'd be on our show tonight. I know it's going to be incredible what God's going to do. I'm very, very excited to talk about this movie. When I had the chance to bring you on, I jumped at the opportunity because I want to talk about what God is doing right now. I want to talk about the movie. And really, I want to open by saying this. We really want to challenge every one of you guys to get out to this movie. I think as Christians, it's easy, Pastor Greg, for us to complain and rightfully so about what the enemy's doing in the movies how bad they are and no. how bad hollywood is well at the same time these christian movies are coming out and we need to get behind and support them to the fullest extent we need to bring our friends bring our families go see it several times bring your unsaved neighbor go to your neighbor hey i got you tickets to this movie i'd love for you to come out and see it so i really want to push and challenge all the viewers and listeners get your tickets for this movie let's really show up strong to the theaters for this movie I'm very excited about this. Would you want to maybe just give us a little intro and then we'll show the trailer and just jump into this movie? Sure. Okay. So the title of the film is Jesus Revolution. It's a story of the last great spiritual awakening in American history, the Jesus movement that happened around 1970. (laughs) Excuse me. It was directed, written, the screenplay written by and directed by my friend John Irwin, who also directed I Can Only Imagine, I Still Believe, American Underdog. He's really a great filmmaker, Isaiah. And I wouldn't have trusted my story to really anybody else Mm. because he has a real heart for the gospel. But when we started to do this film, I said, John, I think it's really important that as much as possible, I want to take people back in time. Mm. I want to put them in a DeLorean, right? And take them back to 1970 so they can feel it. And if if someone watching this can almost feel and experience what we experience, that's a win for us. And I think he has done that. Uh, there were mm. times even when we were shooting the film in Alabama, <clears throat> excuse me, and in California, where, where I felt like I'd gone back in time. And, and now we're seeing, you know, a great move of the Holy Spirit uh, in on a college there, Asbury College yep. in Kentucky. And we hear of other things happening. So we're saying, Lord, do it again. So it's been said, the fame of revival spreads the flame of revival. So we're telling mm-hmm. a true revival story. It's a story of a young Greg Laurie, uh, age 17, who's uh, ba- basically living with this alcoholic mother who's been married and divorced seven times. Um, and it's his search. He goes to a lot of wrong places in that search. He looks into drugs and other things. He also meets a Kathy. And it's a love story between these two young people, Greg and Kathy. And then it's a story of two other very unusual people coming together. Pastor Chuck Smith, a very staid conservative pastor who has a pretty small church and wants to reach the young generation but doesn't know how. And he meets this hippie evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee. And it's like nitro meets glycerin. And there's an explosion. And so that's what this movie is about. And, and I think, Isaiah, that it it is one of the grittier Christian films I've ever seen. It's very mm. honest, showing the emptiness and the pursuit of uh, the wrong things in the first part of the film. And yet it is infused with the gospel. And there's a scene in the middle of the film where my character is baptized and Lonnie, played by Jonathan Rumi, best known for playing the role of Jesus and the chosen praise with Joel Courtney, who plays Greg Laurie. And, and it's a powerful moment. And our hope is that when people see that scene, that they too will be praying in the theater and even accepting Christ. So this is the latest trailer you're about to see. And it gives you a little sense of what this film is about. This trailer is amazing. I told my wife today, I said, I'm pretty sure this is my favorite trailer of all time. I mean, it's absolutely 
amazing this trailer you can feel the emotion just and i'm a nerd so i'm into cameras and all that but the color correction i mean everything they've done with this film is genius so let's watch this trailer everybody put your eyes on the screen and we're gonna run this trailer here we go country is a dark and divided place. But in that tent, there's hope and unity and miracles that I can't even explain. I'd like you to meet my new friend, Lonnie Frisbee, and some of his friends. Welcome. These kids are runaways, most of them. Because I need our help. Chuck, stop. They don't belong here. Agreed? There's this church. It's called Calvary Chapel. When we say we're looking for truth, what if this is true? Because everything that we've been trying is not working for me. I just can't be let down again. What I felt in there, I haven't... What if it's good for a minute and then it's gone? What then? We can find out together. Seems the movement's everywhere. Los Angeles, even in the South. It's spreading like wildfire. Is this the beach where people get baptized? We drove all the way here. Where from? Texas. I don't know if any of this is real. I kind of hope it is, to be honest. It's a family, man. Don't give up on it. Wow, I know everyone in the chat here is saying that they're crying and emotional. I'm telling you guys, I watched that trailer, I think, three or four times today. It's amazing. If that trailer has any taste of what the movie's going to bring, it's going to be an incredible time. I'd love to hear, I do want to dive into your testimony a bit, but I would love to hear about how this movie came about, how this came to be, because this is not just a Christian movie, and not to downplay anyone's movie, but this is not just a Christian movie playing at the local church. This is a full-on Hollywood production in uh, pr most most all theaters, if I'm not mistaken. I looked it up next week, and it's playing four or five times a day for a yeah. week or two. So this is a very big, well produced, well played out, uh, you know, thought out movie. Can you talk a little bit about how this even came to be? Yeah, well, it's produced and and put out there by Lionsgate. They're a major film studio. Wow. They do John Wick and The Hunger Games, things like that. So you know, they they're behind this film. So it all started with this. This is a cover of Time Magazine from a long time ago. So John Irwin, who's made some great films, uh, got a hold of this magazine. He bought it on eBay. And wow. he's reading the story of this spiritual awakening. And he's saying, wow, I, I wish I could see this in my generation. He's in his late 30s. So he was talking to a friend of mine and said, do you know anybody that was around for the Jesus movement? And my friend said, yeah, you should meet Greg. And so... We had lunch together and we started talking. So seven years later, this movie is finally done. But John was sort of getting his mind wrapped around it. Like, how do I tell this story to a new generation? So mm. we became friends and we ended up doing a couple of other documentary films in the interim. And this movie kept getting delayed. In fact, we were actually, we were greenlit and we were ready to shoot and COVID hit and it just killed everything. And so finally we got it done, but you know, for, it starts with the idea. Then there's a script, then you cast the film, then you shoot the film, then you edit the film and edit and edit and so edit. You add the music and, and then you, you know, so I've never seen how this is done before. So it's fascinating to be with this story, first of all, living it, then seeing it presented in a screenplay form, then as it's being filmed, I think it was cast brilliantly. Kelsey Grammer is so effective in the role of Pastor Chuck Smith. You know, Kelsey is known to most people for playing the role of Frazier. 
Mm. Uh, but actually, he's a, a trained actor, trained at Juilliard, Shakespearean actor. So he has a lot of bandwidth, you know, when it comes to acting. He really brings it to this role. And you just feel like you're watching Chuck Smith. You're not even thinking of this as acting. Then Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus and the Chosen so brilliantly, says a whole different performance for him. And he just embodied this person, Lonnie Frisbee. Of course, I knew Chuck and Lonnie personally, and I was able to help the actors with what these people were like. Um, and then uh, Joel Courtney, I thought was a brilliant choice to play me. He's a very talented actor. Playing me, my character in this movie is one of the harder roles to play because I'm sort of a closed off, broken person mm. as a young man. It's hard for me to give or accept love from anybody. And there's, you know, that's a very subtle performance. And then Anna Grace Barlow plays my wife, Kathy, gives us a passionate performance. And then uh, Kimberly Williams Paisley, who played the bride and father of the bride, does an incredible job playing my mother, Charlene. So, you know, I'm just amazed at the talent in this film. And I'm, I'm amazed at the end result. And it really feels like you're living it. I've seen this movie many times now. I never get tired of watching it. And I love to see it when other people are seeing it for the first time. So here's our hope. Number one, we pray that it will inspire spiritual awakening. Mm. That people will watch it and say, we want to see this in our generation, especially young people. And number two, we're praying that people will come to Christ in this movie. I mentioned earlier a scene when Greg praise a prayer with Lonnie. And I actually work with Jonathan Rumi, the actor. And, and like what I say when I lead a person in a prayer to accept Christ and we, he went over it and over it. And then when he did the scene, it was so real. And I think one of the reasons it feels so real is God was at work down at Pirates Cove Beach where a lot of the actual baptisms were done. And mm. people were literally getting saved as we were filming. Um, there would be people who are as next year were getting baptized Incredible. and people were saying, I want to, I want to become a Christian and get baptized for real. In fact, one of the actors in the film came to me after his character was baptized and said, I want to be baptized for real. Come on. And I told him, I gave him the gospel. We prayed together and I baptized him. So I think that, you know, life imitating art, mm. uh, art imitates life. Then sometimes life imitates art. And so I think because God was working, it comes across in the screen. So when you're so watching good. it, it doesn't feel like that kind of way you see church services in movies, and they never look right. They never sound right. They're yeah. not like they are for us. But when you watch this, it's like, this is real. This is the Amazing. way it is because it was real. Amazing. And I think what an evangelism tool I could think of friends and family right now that won't come to church, but they'll go watch this movie because yeah. of the, the trailers, how well it's done. It's in the theater. They're like, oh, this is cool. It's exciting to go to the theater. And man, what an evangelism tool to reach this generation. Like if there's ever been a generation that needs another Jesus movement, another Jesus revolution, it's right now. So I feel like we're just on the verge of, of history happening right now with what's happening at Asbury, what's happening on social media, the revivals that are breaking out in college colleges and churches. And I think the devil says like, I'm taking my gloves off and God's like, I, you haven't seen nothing yet devil, because I've been, I've been having yeah. the gloves off. So I really feel like we're on the verge of a great revival. I would love to hear pastor Greg, maybe for those that are younger or aren't super familiar with your story and how this plays in just to maybe hear some of your story, your upbringing, were you raised Christian? Were you raised in a functional or dysfunctional home, your upbringing? And then from your perspective, how you got into this Jesus movement and how God changed your life. And then I have some more specific questions we could ask about the movement, but I would just love to hear some of your story and how you got saved. Sure. Well, I was born in 1952. I was conceived out of wedlock. I was a product mm. of a one night stand. My mother was a beautiful lady. She really was a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. And uh, so she was a man magnet and married and divorced seven times a raging alcoholic. And because of her alcoholism, she was irresponsible. It's almost mm. like I was raised without parents. Sometimes they jokingly say I was raised by wolves, right? Yeah. And there was no father figure. And there was my mother. And in some ways, I had to be a parent to her because she would drink and pass out every night. Wow. And sometimes she wouldn't come home at all. So what it did was 
it sent me on a search at a very early age, you know, because most of my friends that I went to school with, I was always changing school because my mom was always changing husbands and we were moving around mm. a lot. Um, my friends had intact families. and But, uh, you know, as I look at the culture today, so many young people come from broken families. Yes. So what was unusual when I was a kid is almost sadly the norm for so many kids today. Yeah. So I think it's a story that resonates. So I went on this search and, and, you know, I was in high school. I went up for the football team. I became kind of popular on campus. I was a cartoonist for the school paper, had a lot of friends. And I just thought, I don't, I don't think this is the life I want. And at this time, the drug culture is coming on strong, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Doors, Jimi Hendrix, all those bands are out there and the messaging is turn on, meaning use drugs, turn on, tune in, drop out. So wow. I literally transferred from the school I was going to, which is Corona Del Mar High School uh, in a very nice area of Newport Beach. And I transferred to another school called Harbor High. And it was Harbor High in more ways than one because a lot of kids are getting high over there. And I was told that they don't care. Uh, you can, people are smoking weed on the front lawn. And wow. so I transferred to the school and I, I wanted literally to become a different person. I thought, I don't want to be like the kind of the preppy guy anymore. I had blonde hair, kind of surfer blonde hair. Use your imagination. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I thought, I want to become a hippie. I don't want any of my old friends. I want to go off the grid. And I started hanging around with these total low-life druggy guys. I wow. knew they were low-life. I, I, but I just, I didn't want to be a part of the, you know, the kind of the social culture anymore. And I, I was smoking weed every day. I was taking LSD pretty much every weekend. And, and I just already had come to the conclusion, this is a really bad way to spend my life. All my creativity was being sapped. I said, I drew cartoons. All of my artistic ability seemed to be going down the drain. And, and so I thought this can't be it. But where is it? What mm. is it? And so when I transferred to Harbor High, some of my low-life friends said, hey, Greg, be careful. There's a lot of Jesus freaks on this campus. Come on. And I said, don't worry. The last thing Greg Laurie will ever do is become a Jesus freak. I love it. Famous last words. So it, here's how it started. It's so funny. Normally, how do people come to Christ? Someone engages them with the gospel. Someone shares the gospel. Someone takes them to church or to an event. None of that happened for me. I just wow. saw this cute girl talking to a friend of mine. And I thought, wow, who's that cute girl? I'd like to say hi to her. I walked over and I was waiting for a break in the conversation. I'm kind of looking at her. And when I say cute girl, she wasn't a beauty queen. She was cute. But yeah. there was something about her, something about her that Come was on. different. And so I looked, I noticed she had, you know, text uh, books for class and in her notebook. And then I noticed she has a Bible. It, it was like a black book, gold pages. I'm going, oh no, what a waste of a perfectly cute girl. She's what? a Jesus freak. And so I said hello to her and that was the end of that. And so a couple of days later, I was walking across my high school campus and there's a group of the Christians singing and she's there. So I thought, wow. Why is she into that? So I sat down far enough away where I wouldn't be thought of as being one of them, but close enough where I could eavesdrop in their conversation. So I'm judging them all. They're a bunch of losers. They're idiots. Uh, you know, but the problem was they looked happy and it mm. bothered me. And I thought, and then a new thought came to me. What if what they believe is true? I quickly dismissed that. And the reason I dismissed it, Isaiah, is because I'd grown so cynical because of my upbringing. Wow. I'd been so disillusioned by the adult world I was exposed to. And I, I didn't really have respect for people. I thought, you know, no, it can't be real. And then the thought came back to me, what if it's real? It can't be. And so this guy stands up to speak. This guy is in the movie, Lonnie Frisbee, hippie evangelist from a church called Calvary Chapel. I didn't know who he was. All wow. I knew was this This dude looked like Jesus. He had long hair, parted down the middle, beard, kind of this almost roby-looking kind of shirt, very hippie thing. He stands up and starts speaking. I'm like, whoa, I'm listening now. And I, for the first time, I'm listening and I'm understanding. And I don't remember most of what he said, except for one statement. He said, Jesus said, you're for me or against me. 
Wow. And I looked around at the Christians and I thought, well, they're for him. They're into this. And I'm not one of them. Does that mean I'm against Jesus? And I thought, well, I don't want to be against Jesus. I mean, I, I believe he's out there somewhere. Mm. But And then he said, and if you want to accept Christ, get up and walk forward right now. And some kids got up and walked forward. And I thought, there's no way I would ever do that. Next thing I knew, I was up there. I don't even know when I walked up there. I'm up there. And I'm praying this prayer. And uh, and after I'm done praying, I didn't feel anything. A girl next to me is crying. Another person on the other side is laughing with joy. I feel nothing. And I thought, it figures. God said, ah, skip him. He's not worth the effort. Wow. So that weekend, Isaiah, I had already planned to go out and smoke weed and take acid, LSD. And we we're out on the mountains. I was with my low life friends. I didn't know what I'd just done. I prayed. Christ came into my life. I didn't know what I'd done. Mm. No one was there following up. And I'm sitting on a rock loading up my little pipe. And that same still small voice that spoke to me just hours earlier said, you don't need that anymore. Whoa. And so I, I took my pipe. I threw it. And I said, okay, God, I don't know anything about you. But if you're real, you have to make yourself real to me. And he did. And that's wow. how I got started. And then thankfully, a young man named Mark saw me. I didn't know him from Adam's house cap, but he walked up to me and said, hi, my name is Mark, and I want to take you to church with me. And I said, no, that, that's okay. <laughs> you know, because I was I didn't even know what I was doing yet. And, and he goes, no, you need to come to church. I said, I don't really want to go to church. But he was persistent in a really good way. And he took me to church, which was called Calvary Chapel, and I walked right into the middle of a spiritual awakening. Wow. And how old were you at this time when you first walked into Calvary Chapel? 17. 17 years old. So was this in the middle of the Jesus movement? Will you talk to us a little bit about maybe those that don't know, is the Jesus movement, and this might sound like a dumb question, and the Jesus revolution, are these the same movements? And then also, yeah. what were these, what were these, what was this movement like? How long did it last? This was run by Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, or was there multiple pastors? Maybe just tell us a little bit about the movement, something maybe you saw in it. I would just love to hear more about the movement. Okay. So meanwhile, while Greg was on his search, and he found Christ in this high school campus. Another whole story was unfolding. There's Chuck Smith as a okay. pastor of a small, small little church. And uh, his wife, Kay, is really burdened for the young kids. They're out in the mm. streets. They're runaways. They're doing drugs. They're dying of drug overdoses. And she says, Chuck, we got to reach those kids. Chuck says, those kids need to take a bath and get a haircut and get a job. You know, she says, no, Chuck, we need to pray for them. And so... God touched Kay's heart first. And so he goes, well, if I ever meet a hippie, I'll ask him what it's all about. So Jan, Chuck's daughter, meets Lonnie Frisbee wow. and brings him home and introduces him to Chuck. And Chuck at first is like, who is this guy? I, I don't like this. But as Lonnie begins to talk to Chuck about his generation, Chuck's heart is open. And this is to the credit of Chuck Smith. He opened his heart. And he opened the doors of his church and he let Lonnie have a place to speak. And next thing you know, young people are coming in by the droves. At the same time, wow. a band comes to him. They're called Love Song. They were just some basic rock band, but they had all come to Christ. And they said, God's given us some songs. Could we come play them at your church? Chuck listens to them and he invites them to play. Literally, contemporary Christian music was born and the Jesus movement wow. was born now. The, the word the words Jesus Revolution came from Time magazine. Gotcha. So Time wrote a cover story about the Jesus movement, and they called it Jesus Revolution. Mm. And in many ways, Time had it right. Time saw it from a more secular perspective. And so here we are, a generation of young people. The hippie dream has turned into a nightmare. The psychedelic colors of the late 60s have turned to black and white. All of our icons are dropping like flies. Janis wow. Joplin, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, all dead, ironically, at the age of 27, mostly from drug-related causes. And so we're talking about revolution. We need a political revolution. Well, we had a revolution. It wasn't a political revolution. It wasn't a moral revolution. It was a Jesus revolution. Wow. So that's what Time Magazine called it. And, and so that was already in play when a young Greg walks into Calvary Chapel. I'd never really been to church before. I knew nothing. So I thought, wow, this is Christianity. It's, 
it's awesome. But I actually had walked into a spiritual awakening. So you got saved right in the middle of this revival. You know, I would love to just talk a little bit about when you get saved in revival, I have a similar testimony to be claiming to be this atheist. I hate God. I'm never going to go to church again. I get radically saved. And then a week later, revival breaks out of my living room and several thousand people end up coming through my house in the next year. All my friends get saved. All my family gets saved. We go wow. from throwing these huge parties to now there's 500 people in my living room, in my kitchen, outside my house, covering wow. the whole the whole property because we, we had a large farm property. And so I got saved really in the, in the start of a, a great revival. Bible that I got to see God do and yeah. miracles wow. and signs and wonders and salvations. And so it's marked me. I, I can't be the same. I can't be just a regular wow. average. People say, you need to settle down. You're too loud. You're too extravagant. You're too <laughs> passionate. But for yeah. me, it goes back to how I got saved, how I met God. Yes. Do you feel, Pastor Greg, in your whole ministry, your legacy that you've, you've made, has it been marked by these early days being in the Jesus movement, seeing God move, seeing massive amounts of young people get saved? Has that really had an effect on how you've done ministry, how you've ran your church? Talk to me a little bit about the effect that getting saved in revival has kind of had on you. Yeah, well, it certainly marked me in a very serious way, because once you've seen it, you want to see yes. it again. You know, like the psalmist says, will you not revive us again mm. that your people may rejoice in you? You know, I think, Isaiah, we've taken the word revival and made it a bit too mystical. Yes. It's really kind of practical. Uh, revival means restoration, to return to something. Like if you see a super cool, you know, 1967 Mustang restored to, you know, showroom condition, you go, well, that's cool. It's a restored car. Okay. A restored slash revived Christian is one that is living the Christian life as it should be lived. It's like, you know, a first century style Christian life, like the mm. early church did it. And, and I think that we fall short. We settle for a watered down version of Christianity. Yes. It, it's not a, it, you know, the Jesus movement was about Jesus. It was like, it wasn't called the Bible movement. It wasn't called the morality movement. And it's great. We got to have the word of God in there. And that's a very important element, vital element. But it was about Jesus, people meeting Jesus. So I think once you've seen it, you want to see it again. And, and, you know, you can have personal revival. You can have a church revival, good. like what you talked about on your farm. And you can have a statewide revival and you can have a nationwide revival and you can have a global revival. So mm. there have been four great spiritual awakenings in the history of America. The first was before we were a nation, a lot of it came from the preaching of George Whitfield, a British mm. preacher, and he proclaimed the gospel to thousands. The second revival is called the Frontier Revival, happened out in the woods and the forests, and this, you know, we hear of the sawdust trail, you know, in those tents. That that was that revival. And then there was the prayer revival in Fulton Street in New York in the 1800s, led by a man named Jeremiah Lamphere, who started a prayer meeting downtown in New York. And finally, there was the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. Every one of these revivals was sort of unique. And yet at the same time, there are certain similarities in all of them. Here's a, one of the similarities. All of these revivals produced evangelism. In other words, people were That's out good. preaching the gospel. So when I hear of awakening, like in a place like Asbury College or other places, and I hear of people worshiping and praying and repenting, that's awesome. Amen to all of that. But what I'm looking for is, okay, now I want to see you go out and become gospel preachers. Because so many of so much of the missionary movement that we've had over the years always have come out of revivals and awakenings where people yes. not only came to Christ, but there was a call put in their life. And, and it's this generation needs it because you mentioned earlier the way things are. I just read yeah. a CDC report. You might have seen it where, where how depressed yep. this generation is, how sad and hopeless young teenage girls in particular are, how many of them contemplate suicide. This breaks my heart. I, I read the story about a young lady and she was on her campus and she was beaten up in the hallway and it was filmed. And then it was posted and it went viral yeah. and she was so depressed. She took her life. And I yep. looked at the picture of this beautiful young girl and it broke my heart. I thought, how can we reach people like that? And when I hear of, of hundreds and now maybe even thousands of students praying and turning to God, that's the answer. Yes. It's a spiritual answer. And, and so we need to keep praying for that. 
and and hey, you know what? Pray it happens to us. Pray it yes. happens to whoever's watching this. Say, Lord, revive me. Send a spiritual awakening to me. Send it to the church I attend. Send it to my community. Revival starts with you. Isaiah, here's one good definition I heard of revival. Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented, he shows up himself. Come on. I love you know, that. So I love that. Lord says, okay, I'm done with this nonsense. Boom. And, <laughs> and that's what we need to pray for. Lord, do it again. So good. I think even when you look at the Jesus movement for my studies, it seemed to be, and you could even touch on this, that this was God's direct answer to what the enemy did in that culture. When you talk about drugs, you talk about uh, political unrest during that time. You talk about a sexual revolution that was also happening. All the stuff we see that was happening and God always has an answer. I think we think like, oh, God's up there sleeping. You look at like Habakkuk who says, how long will I idly look at wrongdoing and injustice? And then Habakkuk indicts God and says, you idly look at this. You don't do anything. And then the Lord addresses him and says, look around the nations and be amazed. I'm doing something in your day. You wouldn't believe even if somebody told you. So I think in these times of like right now we have political unrest and there's another sexual revolution happening online. And there's, as you said, depression is at an all time high and suicide they say is, is breaking records. The fentanyl crisis, which we could talk about that for another hour. God says, okay, the enemy's pouring out a spirit, but the devil's not the only one that pours out his spirit. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that right now, that God is answering the cries, the prayers. And even to some of the older generation, I read this comment, you know, I did a, I did a video on the Asbury revival and it, it kind of took off and went viral. And I was going through some of the comments and a lady left a comment. She said, you know, I'm a mom of one of the students and basically saying like, we don't want this. It's overwhelming. There's too many people coming. We want this to stop. My kid can't get to class. And you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to call her out and all that. But in my mind, I was thinking we have this older generation that's been praying for another move of God. Maybe yeah. like you, they saw it when they were young and I'm like, man, let's embrace this. Like praise yes. the Lord. You missed a couple days of class. There was in, there's always inconvenience to revival and your yes. schedule gets messed up. But man, I just want to <laughs> see it go as hard as it can go as long and, and just see, we need it. We desperately need it. I, I was in tears looking at these young people at Asbury. They're not, Pastor Greg, they're not in line to go to a rave. They're not in line to go to a concert. They're not in line to go drink and party. These these young people are in line to just go worship Jesus. And there's wow. no, there's no, pre, there's no, you know, real preaching. There's no big names. And there's a lot of famous evangelists that have gone. No one gets a front row. You just kind of show up and there's no yeah. pictures taken. There's no getting the mic. There's no honoring the evangelist yeah. there. There's a real sovereign move of God where these young yeah. people are saying, we want God. And so I'm, and I think you as well, you're saying we're cheering them on saying, keep going. We need that. Not yes. just in one school, but in every school all around it with the Jesus movement. Was this something where there was large crowds gathering at the beach? Was this, I mean, how long did this go on for? What was like what what did an average service look like during the jesus movement and was it just in one location were you guys traveling maybe give us a little bit of the i'm a nerd so i like to know the nitty-gritty of what did it look like in some of those meetings well it was all the above you know i mean the jesus movement happened in different parts of the country and the world i can only speak to what i was exposed to which was in orange county at calvary chapel but quickly, we went out. We were doing events in high school campuses. That's where my wife came to Christ, listening mm. to some Christian rock band, renting auditoriums here. And, you know, so we went out with this message. And on a typical day, if you're walking around by the pier down at the beach, you know, I see people, you know, surfing, eating, doing whatever they do at the beach. And you would always see people out in the streets sharing the gospel, mm. talking to people about Jesus. You don't see that much anymore. No. <clears throat> and I hope we see it again. So it would just started to spread like a wildfire. You know, it's not unlike the early church. So mm. the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the believers there in Jerusalem. And I think if they would have had their way, they would have had a little holy huddle. And they would have stayed there as long as they could. Yeah, yeah. But persecution came. And God used the persecution to spread the church out. And the Roman road system had, had been established at that point. There was a common language, Greek, that the Romans had instituted. So it was like the first century version of, you know, the internet. Like for the first time in the ancient wow. world, we had a common language. We had a road system to send letters on and travel on. And so that opened up the world. And that's the road the apostles walked on to take the gospel 
to all of the world because that's the commandment of Christ. And so the Jesus movement was spread, but it sort of reminds me of like wildfires. Little fire starts here, little fire starts here. Another one starts over here. And here in California, we get these Santa Ana winds and they take some little fires and it turns into a massive fire. That's kind of what the Jesus movement was like. It was, Mm. oh, it's happening here. Oh, it's happening there. Oh, it's happening in four other places. And then the fires kind of almost combine and it becomes a situation. And so there are certain things we can't do. Only God can send an awakening. But only we can do evangelism. I mean, there are things only God can do, things only I can do. Only God can forgive sin. Only I can repent of my sin, right? That's good. God will not repent for me. Only God can pour his spirit out. But yet my job is to preach the gospel. I shouldn't wait for some emotional experience. I just go out and do it out of obedience. Come on. And 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 the but the Lord is looking to pour his spirit out. One of the verses we quoted a lot back in those days was from Acts 2, uh, that says, God speaking in the last days. I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. And Peter was quoting from Joel. Yeah. Uh, Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Well, I was one of those sons and daughters. I was one of the sons, my wife, a daughter. Now Mm. I'm the old man (laughs) dreaming dreams, dreaming, Lord, do it again. And and if I can be like Chuck was and open the door uh, for whatever God wants to do in our church, or through our platforms, I certainly want to do it because this is the only hope for America. So good. I know people are going to go watch the movie next week. And so you guys are like, what about this? You're going to see a lot of the stuff of the story of the Jesus movement of Chuck Smith, of Pastor Greg Laurie in the movie of Lonnie Frisbee. I would love to know as well during that time, because I mean, I wish I could just go back and be there and see it. What was the response of the churches? And then also my, and then to, to tag onto that, do you fear? Do you ever fear that if a great revival broke out again like it did then, that churches would reject the move of God because maybe it wasn't conventional? Because the Jesus movement definitely wasn't fitting into the framework of the sanitized, conventional church. And I think now we think, well, now we're hip at church, right? We're not like they were there. But I think if we're not careful, we might miss the move of God if we're too used to God doing it a certain way. So how was the reaction back then? And then what are some of your, maybe your fears or concerns now the church might miss this next move of God? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, I read a really good book on the, I wrote a book on the Jesus movement called Jesus Revolution. Get it in Amazon if you want to read the book. And it goes into a lot of detail. But there was another book called God's Forever Family. It was a little more scholarly than my book. Mine was more my, you know, my own experiences. Mm. But but I love the conclusion in that book, God's Forever Family, when he said, the churches that opened the door of their church to the Jesus movement experienced it. And the ones that did not open the doors did not experience it. And wow. I think that's very true. So some churches are very close to it. They couldn't get past the long hair or the mm. way the kids looked. But it was not about hippies. It was about young people coming to Christ. And so I just hope that the churches of today will open their hearts and open their doors because there's a generation that needs Christ. And revival can be messy. And by messy, I mean it doesn't go according to our schedules. Mm. And if God's at work and something amazing is happening, we need to let that happen and not quench the spirit. The Bible warns about quenching the spirit. Okay, so here's why the Jesus movement worked so well at Calvary Chapel because you had a hippie evangelist who was very charismatic, Lonnie Frisbee, and this is shown in the film. You had a very conservative man, Chuck Smith, wow. who believed in the power of the Spirit, but he also believed in the power of the teaching of the Bible, mm. expository Bible teaching. And so we came for Lonnie and we stayed for Chuck. If this had only been Lonnie Frisbee, I, I kind of fear what it could have turned into. But if it had been only Chuck Smith, I don't think the young people would have been attracted like they were. The fact is, Isaiah, Lonnie left shortly after the Jesus movement began, maybe a year and a half in, two years at the most, and he went to Florida, and it kind of went into its next phase. But Chuck was sort of the stabilizer because Mm. we were just young kids. You're having an encounter with God, but he taught us to love the Bible. He taught us to study and memorize scripture. And that's what kept it 
within the walls, you know, safety. You know, Jesus says God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Sometimes okay. there's too much spirit. And by spirit, I mean too much emotionalism. Mm. Sometimes there's too much truth. That doesn't seem accurate, but truth meaning teaching. Yeah. You can't yeah. have too much yeah. truth. But my point is, if it's all academic, that's not good. If it's all emotional, that's not good. Uh, we need to be captured by scripture that gives us the parameters, the walls of safety, but yet have this encounter with God that we may feel at times and we don't feel it at times, but we just press on through it to the thick and the thin, to the good days, the bad days, to the mountaintops and the valleys. That's so good. Who would you say are the hippies of today? Because I, I do see a great move of God. I do see a great revival. I feel like God's going to do it again. And this is what we're praying. And I think the whole movie is the prayer is do it again, Lord. Like we don't just want to watch it from what happened. We want it. We want to have that to spark faith to say, Lord, we want to see revival. This generation is hungry. Despite what all the news outlets say, there's a hunger in this generation for revival, for the move of the Holy Spirit, for Jesus to be exalted, for these young people yeah. to come out of drugs and come out of addiction and, yeah. and all the stuff that they're going through. Do you see that there is a type of hippie today, even though, of course, we wouldn't call them the hippies uh, in this generation that God's reaching? I would just say it's young people in general, Isaiah, mm. because, you know, hippies... Not everyone was a hippie. I mean, what was a hippie? Someone with long hair? Uh, mm. You know, like funny thing is I didn't grow my hair out long until I became a Christian. My hair was kind of a little longish. Then I grew it out really long uh, afterwards. So, you know, the hip, that was just one expression. But there was a song back in the day called Little Country Church written by Love Song. And the lyrics were Little Country Church on the Edge of Town. Uh, people come from miles around. And it says, Long hair, short hair, some coats and ties, people finally coming around. So that's really true. There were guys in business suits. There were ladies with their hair quaffed in their heels. And then there were hippies. And then there were younger kids, mm. you know, maybe that are 12 or 13 or 11. And, and then there were older folks. And so it was kind of a lot of people. It wasn't exclusively hippies, but because the hippie thing was happening we tend to think of them as almost a separate category, but you know, you could stop being a hippie with one haircut, right? So <laughs> it was, it was That's just, good. it was really a style. It was just a style, but yeah. it also was a mentality. There was mm. a hippie mentality of free love and free sex and free drugs and free food and free loading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Yeah. So, so, but I would just, so the simple answer to your question is I think it's just young people, mm. young people, coming to Christ. And we pray if God sends another awakening, it will be young people. But hey, we don't want to forget the old people. Yeah. They need the gospel. We want to see people of all ages reached. But another youth revival would be amazing. That's so awesome. I just want to ask you one or two more. And then I know there's, okay. you're super busy with the movie coming out next week. So you get the movement happens. You're 17. The movement kind of lasts, you say, a year and a half, two years. Lonnie goes to Florida. Where does that leave you? Maybe give us a snapshot of here you are, 19 years old. I know you started a Bible study. And then where you are today. I know I'm asking you to do it in like a couple minutes. But um, <laughs> where, where does that leave yeah. you in your journey to where you are now from that, from that Jesus movement really sparking you and you getting saved in that? Yeah, so I'm a brand new Christian, and I I never was a public speaker, um, mm. but I felt this calling on my life to share the gospel, and I just started out sharing my faith with people one on one here, there, and everywhere, and then uh, I'd spoken a little Bible study here and another little thing there, and and a group of young people were meeting in Riverside. Lonnie actually had started that little group, and then he moved off and and they needed someone to come speak. And I went and started speaking and it started to grow and they started calling me pastor. And I'm thinking, wait, I'm like 19. <laughs> I've only been a Christian two years. I can't be your pastor. And I was looking for someone older to take it over and I couldn't find anyone. So I just, okay, maybe I am called to be a pastor. So I learned to be a student of scripture. You know, leaders are learners and, and, and I think a good leader learns to be a good listener. So I spent a lot of time around older godly people like Chuck Smith, later on in life, Billy Graham, and, and you know, just picked their brain and learned everything I possibly could from them and then just applied it. It was sort of like on-the-job training, and that church grew to become the church that 
I'm still the pastor of, in fact, we're getting ready to celebrate 50 years as a church. So I was doing a startup church before anybody was doing startup churches. Back in that day, you didn't hear of startup churches. You just heard of a church that's been there forever and the pastor died, now new guys there. But starting from scratch, that was a whole new thing. And, uh, And I wasn't the only one. There were other friends of mine going out and planning churches in other communities as well. So... And so Amazing. I just kind of one thing led to another. Amazing. Pastor Greg, you're an absolute legend. I honor you. I know that the younger generation, us, that God is raising up, hopefully that, you know, the Lonnie Frisbees of this generation, we honor yeah. you. We highly respect you. Whenever this opportunity arose, I text my group of guys and every one of them said, man, that's amazing. He's a legend. And everyone was so excited. So we just, we, you know, we all want you to know, I speak on behalf of all these young creators and TikTokers and YouTubers and preachers that we really do honor you. You've paved the way for us. Thank You've really you. set an amazing path for us. Your legacy, your consistency, your faithfulness with your wife, with your church, raising your family. It's just so commendable. It's so beautiful. And uh, it's an honor to even get to know you a little bit here. I hope we could do more stuff in the future together. I would love for you sure. just to say a, you know, a quick prayer for those that are hungry for revival. They want to see move of God. And then we'll just do any closing remarks and we'll, we'll direct people to get their tickets as well tonight. All right. Awesome. So, hey, everybody, let's all pray together. Father, here's our prayer right now. We're saying... Do it again. Will you not revive us as you revived your people? So, Lord, send the power of your Holy Spirit upon every person watching this right now. And send revival to our homes. Send revival to our churches and to our state, into our communities, and to the nation. This is what we need in America right now. And, Lord, what you promised that to answer our prayers and we would call upon you. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you say, if your people, which are called by your name, will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, you will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So Lord, we're, we're laying hold of that promise. Heal our land. We repent of our sins. We turn to you. We're looking to you. Like uh, we remember the words of um, the, the man of God who turned to you and said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And our eyes are on you right now, Lord Jehoshaphat. That's who it was. And uh, as Jehoshaphat said, our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are upon you now as well, Lord. So do it again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Greg, thank you so much. If you guys all in the chat, Spotify, I'm not going to name all the platforms, all of you listening, we're really, I'm asking you get tickets, get tickets for friends, for family. I got several tickets. I'll be there next week at the movies watching it. Our church already rented out a theater a few weeks ago. Guys, get your tickets. Come out to this event. If you're in the area, Pastor Greg has a church out there in Southern California. Come stop by at Harvest Church. Come by on a Sunday and come see what God is doing. I definitely will get out there at some point. Pastor Greg, is there anything else we could say and direct them towards a movie or anything you'd want to just shout out here before I get you off? Yeah, thanks. You know, I say, I think it's just a great way to start a conversation. I did it today. I was in the store and I said, hey, have you heard about this movie, Jesus Revolution? The guy's like, no, what's that? Well, it's a movie. And I started telling them about the movie. But then I started talking about Jesus. And Mm -hmm. I said, Google it. Hey, if you Google it, boom, it shows up everywhere. Hey, you want to go see it? Watch the trailer. And, and, you know, even if they don't go see the movie, think of the movie as a tool. Mm. It's a tool to start a conversation. One of the hardest things about evangelism is starting the conversation. Yes. And so say, hey, have you heard about this movie? Uh, It's a good way to begin. Better yet, say, I'd like you to come to that movie with me and I'm going to buy you a ticket. Come on. So like you said, Isaiah, you know, they may not go to church with you, but they may go to a movie. You may have to buy some popcorn and milk duds too, but it's okay. It's a good investment in the soul of someone. Take them. And I believe after that movie, you can have a meal with them or, Mm. or, you know, just hang out. And I think you can have a very specific conversation about their soul. There's so much gospel in this film, but it's done in a very artistic way. Listen, I don't want people to think they're going to like, a preaching service. This Mm. is a piece of art. This is an entertaining film. It's a surprisingly funny film. It's a tearjerker at times. And so you are going to be entertained by this film. It's a very well-crafted movie, but it's infused with truth. And uh, God promises his word will not return void. So 
Here's a gift from God to all of us. Yes. Backed by a major film studio called Lionsgate to use for God's glory. And here's one last thing I would say, Isaiah. Some people say in comment on my social media, I'll wait till it streams. Don't wait till it streams. Don't wait. I'm Don't asking, wait. I mean, watch it when it streams too, but I'm going to ask a favor of every one of your viewers. Go to the theater. And here's why that's important. The more people go to the theaters, the better the film will do. If mm. the film opens strong, then Lionsgate buys more screens. Mm. They add screens immediately. So the stronger the opening, the longer the reach of the film. And, so and I'm praying, we're, here's who our competition is when we open on February 24th, Cocaine Bear. So wow. there's your choice. A bear wow. on cocaine or a movie about how lives were changed by Jesus. So wouldn't it be cool if this movie was the number one film in America on, and it blew the on. minds of Hollywood people? Like, wait, what? Cocaine Bear isn't number one? Ant-Man isn't number one? Come on. Jesus is... Number one, what is happening? So good. We can make that happen. We can make it happen if yeah. we get out there. And the official release, it does play, I think, next Wednesday. Is that correct? Is that the first day it's playing, but it officially releases yeah. on Friday? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny thing. So Wednesday, uh, the 22nd, is a special early release. Okay. And there's a gospel presentation that I did for that. Okay. And uh, and so that that's one that would be a great one to take your non-believing friend to. Yeah. And then it just opens nationwide everywhere else. On February 24th. Okay, and let me help you guys because I'm a nerd here. It's 2023. You can go online. I just got my tickets on Adam Tickets. And guys, listen, this is going to help you. You buy a ticket online, pick your seat, and you can get a QR code once you buy your ticket. You can. I did this today. You can text your friends and family, buy them a ticket, buy them a ticket tonight, and then text them the QR code. You just say, look, here's the code. Go show up and watch the movie. Guys, you don't even have to hand them a paper ticket. It's 2023. You could buy it on your phone and text <laughs> yes. your family. Because the thing is, if you send them the ticket, they're going to be be like oh i gotta go see it now it's already paid for so i did that today and you can do that as well think of Great a couple idea. friends and family buy the tickets online there's a bunch of websites and i linked it down below you guys can find but yeah send them out thank you pastor greg for being on i know you're very busy we appreciate you i would love to have you on in the future we'll talk about something else but man thank you so much for being on tonight yeah i just peeked in my watch i have another uh interview but thank you for having thank me you. on I'd love to come and be on with you again. Yes. And God bless you and all the people that follow you on all your many platforms. And Thank you so may the much. Lord continue to use you for his glory. Thank you, Pastor Greg. God bless you. Take care. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.